You're listening to the Ellis Rugby Podcast, the rugby heritage brand. The aim of the Ellis Rugby Podcast is to celebrate the greatest rugby players from the long history of the game. You can help spread the word. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and please leave a rating and review. Ratings and reviews really make a difference. They will help build our following. Visit ellisrugby.com for our superb range of rugby heritage inspired fashion wear. We offer both rugby league and rugby union inspired garments as well as our core Ellis Rugby branded collections. Ellis Rugby, the rugby heritage brand. So what does Rugby League Cares do? Through Rugby League Cares and the welfare programmes, they help give players a better balance. The Benevolent Fund have been amazing for me from the day that I lost Danny. We're just trying to normalise the conversations of mental health. We're talking about anxiety, we're talking about depression and the signs and the symptoms. There's nothing wrong with having expectations within yourself and creating internal pressures, but what we're talking about here in terms of stress is when it becomes too much. They really are really are angels in disguise. The work of Rugby League Cares is so important because it does what it says on the tin. Because Rugby League Cares. Because Rugby League Cares. Because Rugby League Cares. Ellis Rugby is proud to partner Rugby League Cares, supporting both the charity and the Rugby League Benevolent Fund through the annual Rugby League Lions Luncheon. We are passionate about the game's heritage and our Ellis Rugby garments are inspired by the many great players, the wonderful teams and the great games of the past. Ellis Rugby, the rugby heritage brand. This is the first of a three-part interview with the great Roosters and New Zealand rugby league legend Hugh McGahn. In this episode, we discuss Hugh's early life growing up as a Maori in a population of mainly white Europeans. We chat about his junior football, his transition to senior rugby league, his selection for the Maori Tour of the UK in 1983 and, of course, his full Kiwi debut. He shares some amusing stories along with his great test match battles with the legendary Australian and British players. I'm delighted to introduce today's guest on the Ellis Rugby podcast, the former New Zealand Rugby League captain, the great Hugh McGahn. Hugh played in 32 test matches for the Kiwis. He toured Australia and Papua New Guinea in 1982 and Great Britain and France in 1985 and 1989. In total, he made 53 appearances for New Zealand, scoring 30 tries. He began his career with Otahua, uh, represented Auckland before joining the Sydney Club Eastern Suburbs in 1985. He went on to make 115 first-grade games for the Roosters, scoring 20 tries over a seven-year period. So I'm absolutely delighted and honoured uh, to introduce today's guest on the Ellis Rugby podcast, Hugh McGahan. Uh, really appreciate you spending some time with us and appearing on the podcast, Hugh. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you, Kevin. Thank you very much for that uh, introduction and and having the pleasure of uh, being on on your, on your podcast. It's been a while since I've done something like this, so I think I'm I'm pretty nervous. 
Oh, you are. <laughs> I think that makes two of us, really. It's about uh, 9 a.m. UK time, 8 p.m. Uh, over in New Zealand, where you are at the moment. So I've been in the office of early morning, drunk plenty of coffee, so uh, eyeballs are spinning at the moment. Uh, <laughs> how's things over in uh, New Zealand? Uh, good weather, is it, at the moment? Y- yes, it is. Um, I- I've just returned back from a-, a few weeks up in the, the UK, um, and I've got to say, we're, we're heading into winter now, but it's warmer here than it was when I was uh, when I was in the uh, the great UK. Um, but it's it's enjoyable. Um, I'm I'm back into into the swing of uh, of work again. But uh, I've got to say, I, uh, I I when I lived in in the UK, I I should have understood what the weather was like, how how changeable it could be, but. I went up there unprepared. I had to go to some shops, some Marks and Spencers, and buy some thermals to, to <laughs> keep me warm for the for the first couple of weeks I was there. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, a, f- a foolish mistake coming to the UK without any warm clothing. Really, <laughs> it's a, it's a horrible grey day in Leeds at the moment. It's been raining a bit this morning, but uh, anyway, our, our conversation I'm sure will, will brighten uh, things up. Now, today, what I'd like to do is chat through your wonderful playing career, starting in the early days and through all the challenges you've had to uh, overcome in your journey in the game. You were born in Auckland on the. 15th of November 1961. Uh, you were the fourth born of six children to Mr. and Mrs. Peter McGahn, sisters Donna, Janice, Lucia, probably more well known as Hippie, and younger brothers Glenn and John. You were a sporty family. Donna, Janice, and Hippie all excelled in junior netball, and Glenn was a talented junior rugby union player who was selected for New Zealand Colts under the captaincy of no one other than uh, Sean Fitzpatrick. Uh, your mum and dad enjoyed socialising and your dad was a keen musician, uh, something your brother John inherited. What was uh, early life like growing up in the McGahan household? Well, probably not too different to, to a lot of working class families. You know, we, we weren't rich people. We were, um, we were very close as a family. Um, and when I say close, we fought a lot. Uh, we <laughs> laughed a lot together. Um, there was there was plenty going on, and as you say, my, my father uh, he was a, a great musician. Um, he loved to socialise. Uh, we had plenty of parties at our house, so we we were brought up uh, through the sixties and early seventies, learning a tumultuous amount of um, of uh, songs um, with with the guitar only being played. We used to hide in the in the hallway and. As a as a family, we used to sing along to all the songs, and we had to scarper pretty quickly when someone was coming out to go to the toilet, so we weren't seen by our parents, and probably kicked in the backsides to get back to bed. Um, <laughs> it was an, it was enjoyable. Um, this sport was was it was very competitive in our household, um, and uh, and I was probably one of the the more competitive ones. But um, my sisters, when they were older, they they used to beat the crap out of me, and um, uh, and enjoyed it, and they still laugh today <laughs> about uh, how much they had over me when uh, when they were a little bit older. Um, uh, and none of us liked to to lose. We were very supportive of each other, uh, but at the same time, when we had internal sports games and whatever, it was it could be fairly vicious. So there were a number of windows broken. There were holes in the uh, in the um, the drywall. Um, there are plenty of repairs, plenty of moving of plants and everything else to hide all of the uh, the breakages that were in in the household. Uh, but again, 
think just like a lot of other working class families, we had a lot of fun together. Um, there were there were some tough times. Um, there were times where there was a lot of hunger that that went about. And um, but with that, it was the way that we all grew up. And I think we were fairly privileged to live in in those days because we appreciate things a lot more today. Yeah, absolutely. Now, your first taste of rugby league uh, came as a youngster while at uh, St. Joseph's Convent at Grey Lynn, and you did struggle to fit in at St. Joseph's. Uh, you were singled out for a fair amount of attention due to uh, being uh, a Maori, and although a happy time, you also felt a little bit lonely. Yes, it was. Um, in the in their old hometown um Otahuhu in uh, in in Auckland it's very it's very uh, polynesian uh, maori base uh, pacifica base um today whereas when we were growing up in the in the uh, early late 60s um it was very european a uh, lot of white people around so we were just a few of a couple of uh, maori uh, families living in the area so we were subjected to some racist comments and and whatever but that for us that was just life and we had to learn to to put up with it um uh it was tough and at the same time it was very lonely um but it, it, there were very few people who singled you out and, and and unfortunately they those few people seem to have more of an impact uh, on you um as as you grow up but generally everyone was was great with it with each other and um, we we still have some fond memories uh, of of a lot of people, and I say a lot of people um, who were really good to us as uh, as people, and and still very very close friends today. Um, but it, it just always happens to be that those uh, few um, who who do singular out um, tend to have more of an impression on you um, uh, as you grow. Yeah. Do you think that gave you extra determination to succeed? Um, yes, I think it, it did have um, uh, uh, a strong influence. Um, I, 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 I didn't like losing anyway because I think I, I was fairly competitive anyway. Um, but for, for those, uh, when I made my very first rugby league team, I happened to be just a little bit bigger than uh, my age group, so I had to go up a grade. So playing with the older boys the, um, who were the same age as my sister, um, Lucia or Hippie, and um, they they knew us as a family, and they 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 didn't miss the opportunity to just give it to me time and time again. Even to the to the point where, if anyone had to stand down on the weekend because we had too many players, it was always me. Um, I was the one, and if anything, I I asked the opposition, "Can I? If, do you need any more players? I'll come and play in your team." And and I ended up doing that against my own team for for that whole season. And um, with that, I. I showed up a, a few people, and and after after the year had finished, I think there was a little bit more appreciation of who I was as a player. But the, I I still copped the odd verbal now and again about the colour of my skin, uh, which created a few laughs. But um, I I did make a uh, an impression on those those guys. I don't think they they picked on me as much. Yeah, yeah. And then it was high school and on to St. Peter's College in Epsom. And it wasn't long before you'd been recruited by the school rugby union team. But your real passion uh, was rugby league. And you spent four years playing union on a morning, then league in the afternoon. Uh, you must have been exhausted. Well, there were the times where you could easily do that um uh, in 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 sport, and I I didn't really feel tired. I, I I just had so much energy, and I just loved what I was doing. 
that I didn't have time to be tired. Um, and it, it, I think it was more time for, for my mother or father who either had to pick me up from one place and drive me across town to get to the to the other game that um, I think they were more exhausted because they ended up watching two two games of sport on top of having to watch my other brothers and then my sisters as well who were playing netball. Um, I still hear today just how, how my sisters were ignored and it was the boys who got all the attention. They were playing rugby and rugby league and um, they were just playing netball. So they had to catch buses from place to place or catch a ride with someone else who was in, in the same team, whereas mum and dad seemed to look after the boys and take us where we needed to go um, uh, across town or the other side of Auckland to, to get the games. Um, but definitely an enjoyable time. Yeah, yeah. Well, in your final year, you decided to purely focus on the rugby league. But then your headmaster suggested that if you played for the first 15, uh, there was every chance your university entrance would be accredited. <laughs> As a result, your focus was purely on sports and not on your schoolwork. And then in the end, you missed out on being accredited. Yeah, so a funny story because my my intention was to play for, for because rugby league. By the time I'd got to to the end of school, rugby league for me was being played in the afternoon, which and that was my passion. So I wanted to play. So I gave up the the rugby and I said the I was sitting in class one day and I saw the headmaster coming down to the to uh, to our classroom and I just thought, oh no, he's he's he knows that I'm not playing and he's going to come and talk to me which which he did and and I was adamant I was playing rugby league no question whatsoever and but with without saying he, he gave the impression that uh, my university entrance would be uh, would be given to me but um, and so loyalty to the school came came to the fore and I decided to play rugby and uh, didn't have to do too much work or didn't think I had to do too much work <laughs> to get my university entrance um, so I, I, I took that which and was a little bit disappointing for a rugby league coach because uh, they were looking for a, for a big season and I think at that stage I was under 16s yeah. or under 17 age group and um, uh, they were looking for a good year um, so w w when I played uh, for the first 15 and uh, I knew or thought I was going to get my university entrance I gave up doing any work at school I just said well look at this I know I'm, I'm going to get my <laughs> university entrance so I just mucked around I dropped maths I didn't like maths yeah. um, uh, I dropped physics or whatever else I was doing and, and just bummed my way through school and uh, come the end of the year when they handed out the university entrance and my name wasn't called out I protested but the, the teachers told me that uh, they just couldn't give it to me because I, I didn't. I did nothing. I just sat around and just uh, ate my lunch and everyone else's lunch when I was at school. So they they just couldn't award to me. So I, I, my first lesson was that nothing nothing comes for free. You know, every, everything there's a price to everything. And um, uh, and by the end of the year, I had no qualifications, nothing to to get into a job. And and I I was struck. I was I was lucky. My father worked for a. A company called Fish and Pickle, which did a lot of uh, white appliances um, uh, at the time, home appliances, um, and I was lucky enough to get an apprenticeship uh, for to be an electrician, and um, and I and I actually got it in the end. But what what were the subjects you need for to be an electrician? Mathematics and um, and science, and uh, and I had dropped all those, so I I really had to work my butt off after after that stage to. Um, 
to start that apprenticeship. But I was, I was extremely lucky. I've got to admit, you know, there were, not many people would have fallen the way that I did in, in, in that regard. Yeah. Well, I mean, while your studies were not going to plan at school, your rugby league performances were being recognised and you made uh, junior schoolboy Kiwis. Uh, you were selected at halfback, I believe. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't that big. Um, I only started to grow a little bit later in uh, in life, and uh, so at 14, 15 years of age, I was uh, thrown as a halfback because I was playing halfback at rugby union because I wasn't as big as the the rugby union boys. So I, I, uh, I was playing halfback, and then from halfback I went to first five, and then I went to second five eight. Um, but that was a little bit later. But they put me into um, put me into halfback, and I was. Uh, I know, strange. That was both in, in rugby and, and rugby league. Um, uh, but that I couldn't see myself as being a, a halfback of the future. I, I'd love to have the ball in my, my hand as a forward running with it. So I, I made sure once uh, after that uh, after that season, um, I asked my coaches to make sure I, I play in the forwards. This time I, I, can't, I can't be a precious little halfback. Yeah, even sort of at that early age, you were, you know, you were very committed to the game. I think at a time when most teenagers were having a, an active social life, you were committed to rugby league. So sort of on a Friday, you know, the day before a game, your complete focus uh, was on your performance on the rugby field and, and not going out with the boys. Yeah, uh, that, it was more of a discipline thing that I'd, I'd, I'd taken on. Um, and the the boys who I was playing with they were terrific players, and they were they were magnificent players in their own right. And um, but they loved to party, they loved to socialise, and I, I just started to take things a little bit more seriously. And and um, I actually committed from the Thursday night. Um, I wouldn't even drink, um, as because it, it was common after training on a Thursday that you go into the club and you'd have a couple of drinks and then um, do whatever, maybe even go out. On a Thursday night, um, miss work the next day, and um, uh, and then play the game on the Saturday. But I, I I just wouldn't do that. I refused to to do it. I I'd never drank you know, two days beforehand. Um, I went home straight after to training. Actually, I might have might have gone in and had a, a coke or a, or a, um, uh, a ginger ale or something as a as a drink with the team, and then just go straight on home and, and never went down the the, the track of been the socialite and, and and it worked for me my and and my mates they appreciated that they knew where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do um, but and we as a team we we gelled together we we were extremely good team and and we'd won championships and everything together but we each had our own different way of um uh of of preparing uh, and mine was more down the discipline side of of, of doing things. Yeah, I mean, you, you've mentioned uh, sort of earlier that you left school and you got a job uh, with your dad's company where he worked at Fisher and Paykel uh, for a few months, and then you headed off to uh, Manukau Technical Institute, and uh, you, you sort of really enjoyed their approach to learning. You'd, I think, you touched on earlier that you hated maths, but you know, you, you were taking these subjects again at the institute, and and it resulted in you winning. You know the best apprentice uh, of the year award. Yeah, yeah, it did. It, it, when I had it, maths, I, I just couldn't see three and three and, and twenty times this and that and no a square root of of whatever. When I, when I took on the, the the apprenticeship, it was relative. They it had to do with the work that I was uh, that I, I was doing. So they 
when they talked about uh, the current or the voltage of things and you divide it by V equals I times R, which is voltage equals uh, current times resistance, um, and it comes up with certain things. Yeah, you are confusing me now, Hugh. <laughs> yeah, no. and it would do, but it, at the time, at that stage, it had relevance to what I was doing, so I got interested in, in doing it and, and maths and, and all those things. Just It was something I, I loved to do because I, I knew it was going to send me somewhere and, and, and I was going to achieve something, and, and I just loved everything about it and as I say it, it earned me the, the, the top award three years in a row at um, at Manukau Tech and um, I even got the top one in New Zealand at uh, uh, at the end of, uh, of my apprenticeship and uh, all because it had relevance to what I was doing and, and again I went down the disciplined route of making sure I did my work and I did the practical side of things and made sure I prepared for, for exams even though I didn't do great in exams um, I, I seem to every now and again just panic a little bit when it got to exams. But prior to that, I was top of the class and and most things. And uh, but I was, I was I was very fortunate that I, I loved what I was doing. Yeah, it's quite interesting actually because it's it's great learning for your football career as well, isn't it? A lot of those disciplines are the same. A little bit of focus and uh, and you can sort of see improvement both in your working and and your playing career. But uh, moving on to uh, Otahua, which is your local club, um, and it was the place where you know your love of rugby league began. Uh, yes, it was. Uh, it was the local club. I only had to walk about a hundred meters down the road, and uh, and I was at the at the club. Um, my my parents were a big part of the club. They they again, so they loved to socialise with people, but they um they got involved with everything with with the club, um and it was it was well. Um, well resourced. Um, it had a lot of um, players uh, that come through the ranks over a number of years, and it, at the time, um, the, the 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 Kiwi captain in 1971, 7071, the Kiwi captain was a guy by the name of Roy Christian, who happened to um, uh, w- uh, play for the club, um, and he was Kiwi captain, and he was someone that that we looked up to, and and. Uh, 1971, the, the Kiwis went on the the, uh, the the tour, a winning tour of the UK, um, winning two one, I think, in the in the Test matches, and I think that was the the head stomping of John Greengrass uh, uh, by Jim Mills. <laughs> yeah, I've had Jim on the podcast previously. He's he's very very apologetic about that. I think he's good mates with John now as well, which is uh, sort of ironic. I saw something in, in England while I was over there, and and it and it was with um, uh, John Greengrass and uh, uh, with uh, Jim Mills. Yeah, who was talking to I can't remember the show. And and I, I saw that, um, and I just had a little bit of a giggle. That, uh, but on on that tour, Roy Christian was was the the, the captain, and um, so he was our, our captain at our, at our club. So you know, the dream started then of you know maybe one day I can I can be in the in the Kiwi team. And they said number of players: Mark Graham, one of the great rugby league players New Zealand's produced, uh, player of the century for for New Zealand. He was a a, a local boy. Uh, Gary Prome um, started his his career there. Um, uh, Clayton Friend, uh, still a very good friend of mine. He he um, uh, he he'd started there. Tawada Nico was another one. So it, it, there's a number of players who have come through the the ranks uh, at the club. 
Yeah, fantastic pedigree of players there, you know, some great names. Now, uh, probably one of your earliest uh, teenage coaching influences was uh, Peter Rasmussen. Um, now, am I right in saying that Peter died recently in a fatal shooting? Yes, yes, he did. Uh, unfortunate uh, circumstances. Um, uh, he he had a, a a grandson who was involved with um, with with drugs and um, and alcohol um, and with with some gangs and the, and and Peter loved his family. Um, just absolutely, just he did everything for for them, and uh, but the the grandson wasn't getting on too well, or was always high on his, his drugs. And one night they had a a little bit of a verbal altercation, from my understanding, um, and uh, the young man went away, um, left the house in a in not a very good mood. He came back uh, with some mates, uh, and he came back with a gun and shot his grandfather and oh, that's dreadful news still don't know whether or not he meant to do it the, the trial and everything else is, is still going on at the moment but it was just tragic to to hear and um because as i said peter loved his family I, I i loved peter to bits he was he, he was a real um a person who taught me a lot about being a person um he taught me a lot about the the game itself uh, probably not so much Technically, but he gave me a lot of um, a good skill development. Um, character is is a lot that I got I got from Peter. And whenever I was back in New Zealand, we would try and catch up at, at least um, every now and again, and just see how each other's going on. And we would have a laugh about a few things. Um, uh, well, actually, we had a laugh about a lot of things. <laughs> and, um, but at the, at the time, it was really tragic to to, to hear that and. You just appreciate the people that you have around you, you know, when you have the opportunity. And I know we all say this because um, when they're gone, I think that's when we appreciate um, people and things uh, a lot more when they're, they're, they're no longer available to us. And, yeah, um, and yeah. It was, it was just sad to see, to hear of his, of his death, but the, the more tragic in the way that it, that it happened. And, um, and unfortunately, it was during the, the all the COVID time, so that not we couldn't have a funeral for him as such with um, mm. uh, with the club and everyone else. It was all private, and um, uh, we'd just be able to have a memorial uh, a little bit later on. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully, we can um, catch up at some stage when we get the opportunity with the club. Yeah, big loss, uh, I imagine, obviously to his family, but also to the club as well, where he'd put so much effort into it uh, uh, too. But uh, you continued uh, your great uh, progress in junior football, and you were beginning to get a reputation as a quality player. But with that, um, you know, comes attention, and it was something you received in the final of the nineteen seventy nine Cup against Ponsonby. We uh, it was we always knew it was going to uh, to to be a tough game and um, uh, th they were always a much bigger team than us and um, very fiery fiery team um, and the Ponsonby itself was just only have a lot of uh, influential players coming through of uh, Pacifica uh, descent um, so the Big Island boys were coming through and. Um, it was probably also at the the stages and and um, the times when, if you wanted to take someone out on the in the opposition, you you did it whichever way you could. And all I remember from that game was, um, I, as well as being one of the, the the playmakers in the team, I was also the kicker of 
of of the ball. So and I'd I'd grab the ball and I'd kick it downfield and um, everyone started chasing. But the only thing I remember was waking up in the in the changing room. One of the one of the guys had just come ran straight at me and charged me down with a headbutt, um, cut me open all over my um, my mouth and and. Uh, I, I again. I just woke up in the in the change room. They had to carry me off, and I had to go off to hospital and oh, get stitched up and and whatever else. So I, I missed the game. Thankfully, we we won the game, and I was really happy about that. But uh, it it was the start of a lot of attention that started to come to me in a more physical way from from the opposition, and um, and I was probably a lot more wary of of. The, the types of things that can happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, soon after that final, uh, you went on tour with Auckland uh, over to Australia, and and success followed in 1980 when you met Richmond in the final, a team that you'd beaten in the preliminary semi-final. Uh, but in the final minutes, you know, you managed to squeeze through the the defence to score the winning try. Um, I think you'll remember the game because of your unusual appearance. You received a cut to the eye and went to the sidelines and you got bandaged up and you came back looking like an Egyptian mummy, I believe. Yeah, yeah it was one of those times where you you, you, you got an injury. Um, it's a final. Um, it's a close game. You don't want to go off, but I, I got this head gash and it really it cut me open. I still have the, the scar today and um uh, and uh, I'm getting stitched on the on the it's not stitched, but I'm getting bandaged up on the sideline. But I keep wanting to hurry up and get back onto the field. So by the time the the, uh, the our strapper had had finished me, it honestly looked like a, I, I looked like a mummy. There was just so much tape around me because I kept moving away, having to be, come back again and going away again. He didn't cut it off <laughs> to make it all pretty and everything. He just kept taping and taping and. And I think one of my eyes might have been half half closed, but on, on that tape, it was it was just horrible. But from that point on, I went went straight back on, and um, I think I remember I, I, I carried the ball forward because I was one of the, the playmakers. I, I think I shaped out outside, then went to shape back in to pass the ball, and the heavens opened for me, and I just strolled through this massive hole, and I think I ran, I'll, I'll say sixty meters, I ran um, <laughs> to score to score a try. I don't believe you on that one, really. I don't. <clears throat> but I think it was about twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was about twenty meters or so, and scored under under the post, and we end up winning the game. And about two or three minutes later, we uh, uh, it was all, all called off and um, and finished up. So great celebrations, and 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 for me, it was making up for the loss of missing the the game the year before. That being a major part of of winning that one was. Uh, uh, was a real feather in the cap for me. Yeah, fantastic. Well, while things were going well on the football field, uh, your relationship with Julia Page, uh, your good friend Mark Page's sister, you, that relationship was blossoming, uh, who eventually became your wife. And it started at a rock and roll night organised by Air New Zealand, I believe. Uh, yes, it was from a, 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 another friend of mine who I was just happened to stay at his, his house that evening. Um, and we'd organised to go for the to this function, and and my other good friend uh, Mark uh, was coming along with his his girlfriend, and and, and he brought his sister along, and um, and that's where I met um, Julia for the first time. We <clears throat> we sort of hit it off and um, spent time together there, and uh, and 
enjoyed our, our, our time and we went out for for a little while afterwards and uh, but she always kept referring or telling me that uh, oh, this is not going to go anywhere she was still at school I just I just left school and um, she was still at uh, uh, at college and said oh this is not going to go anywhere my mother uh, my father's not going to let me um, go out with you because I've got studies and everything else and this seemed to be the topic of the conversation as as we went on and I thought, well, this might be just a bit of a waste of time. And um, so we didn't see each other again for another three months. And then um, I think it was in November sometime, my friend Mark came around to our house one time. He says, oh, how come you didn't you stop bringing up my sister and not going out with her? And I said, well, she kept telling me that your father wouldn't let us go out because she's got school and she's got to study and whatever. So it was going to be a waste of time and she wouldn't uh, she wouldn't be allowed to go out with me. And he said, no, 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 don't do like that. She she really likes you. She wants you to ring her up again. And so I, I did. And, and that was uh, um, in mid, mid-December sometime. We went out for a, for a dinner. And we haven't been apart since. We've just spent every day of our lives together since from, from that time on. And um, four years after that, we got, we got married and we moved off to, to Australia. And that's... It's been a dream ever since. Yeah, fantastic. 1981, uh, you were vying for selection in the seniors, uh, and Owen Wright uh, took you under his wing and became a lifelong friend as well as a teammate. Uh, Owen, obviously, is the uh, brother of Nicky Wright. Yes, and uh, we, we'd formed a, uh, a really good relationship, playing relationship Um I just knew everything that he was doing. A couple of years beforehand, I used to watch the the Premier's team play, our top team play, and Owen was a big part of it, along with Mark Graham and a, and a few other other players. And um, uh, by the time I got into the the team, Mark had moved off to Australia. Um, I think um, Gary Prime had moved off to the UK, or he, he went to whole KR for a little while, and then came back and moved to a opposition uh, club, Man Albert. Um, but Owen, I, I used to watch him play time and time again. I said, oh, I, I know what he does and I, everything that he does on the field, I'll just follow him. And that's all I did. And when I followed him, he put me in holes. I used to run 20, 30-metre breaks, support players would come around and um, the relationship just grew and um, he, he made me look good. He really made me one of the stars of the of the team and um and at the same time with me looking good they were always looking well how does he get through the hole it's because of Owen out there so we sort of helped each other improve our games and get a little bit of profile and um and not only on the field but off the field we we our relationship just grew and became a really good friend and um uh, we probably don't catch up with each other as much as we, we, when we did when we were uh, a little bit younger, but uh, whenever we do see each other, it's as if we hadn't seen each other um, uh, only a few days ago. And um, uh, it was just a, a, a real delight to play with him. He was just so easy to read. And um, and wherever he was on the field, I was always sniffing off. And he knew I was coming. A lot of times he just threw the ball without looking and because he knew I'd be there. And um, as I said, he made me look good on the field. And and he also uh, made you a member of the pig club as well, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, I forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah, the the pig club. I, it it was it was, it was uh, him and our halfback Daryl Morrison, um, who was a typical halfback, short, 
Um, he, he was clever. He was quick on the field, but he loved to talk, and he loved to talk a lot of rubbish. And we had a, a, a our, one of our, our trainer at the time um, who, um, in a nice way, he looked like a pig. You know? he, <laughs> he was a big, bulky sort of a, a player. He was chunky-faced, and um, yeah. his nose had been pushed up against his, his face. Um, and a terrific man. He, he was just such a real strong part of the, the team and gelled everyone together. But he he was always called Daddy Pig. And then there was uh, Owen. Yeah, Owen was called um, Snobby Pig or something. And then there was Daryl, who was Baby Pig. Um, and then they, they changed the name. And, Jesus, I can't – or maybe I ended up being Baby Pig in the end or, or for some, some reason. And – and the four or five of us that were in this group, we all had our name. And I, I didn't like the name Baby Pig. I, I didn't like the name Pig for a start. And then Baby Pig on top of that. Um, but it was – and because the more I hated it, the more they, they called me that. And I think even a few times during, in the game they were yelling out to me, Baby Pig, be there or go and do do something else. Um, um, I'd forgotten all about that. <laughs> there, yeah, there, there were quite a few uh, amusing stories that I read, and uh, one of them related to uh, one of your games. I think it was your prop. Uh, uh, now, I, I might pronounce this incorrectly, but uh, Frank Tinitalia. Yeah, Frank, yes, Frank Tinitalia. Yep. He sort of like was uh, ready for action. You were about to run on the field, and he reached uh, for the bottle of glycerol, which uh, sort of improved exercise performance. But instead, Instead of grabbing that bottle, he grabbed a bottle of Mercurochrome, which is an antiseptic compound for minor cuts and scrapes, and he, he, yeah. uh, he quaffed this down. Now, I understand all the team ran out onto the field giggling away and laughing, and poor Frank was coughing oh. and spluttering behind you, <laughs> not very happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. All the way through before games, he he used to try and talk to us, but he had a lot of broken English with because he was uh, Tongan, I think he was, or Samoan. Um, so he had a lot of broken English. So, we, but he liked to talk before a game, and while he was talking, he'd normally sit down the, the glycerin just to um, uh, loosen up his his um, mouth uh, with whatever and gargle it, and then spit it on out and. And then he used to continue to talking while he was gargling the, the, the stuff and it was spluttering all out of his mouth. But the one day he <laughs> picked up the wrong bottle and all it looked as though blood was coming out of his mouth and he'd start <laughs> coughing and spluttering. It, we probably understood him better once uh, when he was talking or coughing and spluttering than when he was speaking his broken English yeah. around the place. But from being in a serious situation to having to stop ourselves laughing and giggling because he was nearly choking, dying as we ran out the door. Um, so it, uh, it, it might have been a good omen because I think we won that uh, that that game that day. But it was it, it's it's still a talking point whenever the the group of us from Otahu Club get together and 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 start reminiscing about a lot of things. That's one of the first things that always seems to come up with with Frank. Yeah, can imagine. Uh, who, who actually performed well that that year? After, after that year, I think he he made his one appearance for the Kiwi team in 1983 um, against uh, Papua New Guinea. Um, that was his first and only test. But a lot of it was because of the performances that he put in through throughout the year. But those performances started to take a dive after he 
he started eating the, uh, started drinking the Mercurocrine. <laughs> I can imagine as well, really. Now, um, then it was your first real taste of sort of Sydney football, if I can call it that, when you were drafted in as a replacement for the injured Gary Prome, and you made your first Auckland appearance, which was against Cronulla. Uh, yes, and um, Dane and Kurt Sorensen were happened to, to, to play that day, so it was a, a really big game. Uh, for me, and um, uh, I, I played alongside a couple of other boys who were sort of local to us, Clayton Friend and, and Dean Bell, who again they've become very very close friends after that. And we made a lot of lot of teams from from that time on afterwards. Um, so it was it was a really big day day for me, and uh, I say one one that I remember for for a long time, and and was probably the stepping stone for the year after and then the year after that uh, while still living in New Zealand um, being selected for for Kiwi teams and um, and for future Auckland teams and they say created a good relationship as players with with those guys Clayton and, and Dean uh, which continued off the off the field as well we were all fairly close um, off the field because our, our families did a lot of socializing together and Clayton lived not too far away from where where, where I lived and um, and that still continues today. Yeah, yeah. I think both uh, both Dean and Clayton made their debuts in that game as well. Uh, and you, but you also scored a try, so you must have made a a great impression because you were soon uh, selected for the uh, the Kiwi training camp, and it was Cess Mountford who first selected you for that Kiwi trial. And you went to the training camp, but you'd picked up a niggling injury, and then went into his office to explain uh, why you couldn't play only for you to be surprised by his answer uh, it, it was a real surprise um, we I had to go and report back to him about my injury he kept asking how my injury was through this three-day camp that we we had we just we just finished a, a national tournament uh, which went on for a week and then we were all selected to go into this camp for three days and I picked up the injury in the in the the last game, and um, I couldn't attend the training sessions. Uh, I couldn't fu- you know, fully run. Um, I was getting constant treatment from the physio, and um, I had to go to him to report that uh, the extent of the injury. And I was just shattered. I was just so apologetic that I c- I couldn't play. And um, as I walked in and and told them of the situation. He and um, his assistant uh, selector at the time, they they both just looked at me and said, "Well, it's sad to hear that." He's and he said, "But um, you you don't have to worry about that." He said, "You you're going to make the the Kiwi team today because we had the final trial that day. You're going to make the Kiwi team today, but don't tell anyone." Uh, had had as a twenty year old yeah. <laughs> been told he's just made the Kiwi team, not tell anyone yeah. that he's uh, he's made the team. And now I, I, I obviously I thanked them. I was just so happy, it's just so relieved, and so lucky um, because of that. You know, there were other guys who were beating themselves up left, right, and centre trying to make the team, and I couldn't play. And yet I knew I was going to be making the team. So I, I walked out the door. Um, trying to stay cool, calm, and collected. I knew that there was the other guys had already gone off to um, to head off to the trial. There was no one else around. So as I walked past his window, uh, Seth Mountford's window, I made sure I stayed nice and calm. But as soon as I, I knew I was out of sight, I jumped in the air to, to pump the <laughs> p- uh, pump the air that I'd, I'd made this team and I sort of half cut 
the, the, the side of my head on the uh, uh, one of the safetes that was uh, above uh, the motel door. And um, uh, but I didn't tell anyone about that. I was just so happy and just so relieved. And um, again, while at the trial, my whole family were there, They'd come to watch me play, and then I wasn't end up playing. I couldn't tell them um, that I'd, I'd made the team, and they all wanted to go afterwards. And I said, "I oh, know we may as well just stick around here and just listen to the uh, the announcement. We just we have to do it. I have to stay, so you have to stay." And um, and then when it came, I think everyone was just totally surprised um and uh one that i'll remember for for a long time it's it was it was a memorable time yeah yeah so so you made the squad and it was over to australia uh, lang park brisbane to play uh, the mighty queensland team you were selected at loose forward and playing alongside uh, some genuine kiwi legends of the game howie and kevin tamati james luluai clayton friend tony cole uh, Gary Campbell, Dane O'Hara and Gary Prome. Uh, Gary Prome, who you became really great friends with as well. Yeah, very much and um, and, and still today. Uh, see, we, um, whenever we, we catch up with each other, it's it's always nice and uh, know his family. I've seen his children grow up, his grandchildren now. It, um, it's, it's, it's really special when you're uh, when you're still able to talk in in, uh, in that light uh, with some players, and and just on that day you're playing the great Queensland side, and you're, you you're, we're talking about Mel Manning, we're talking about Wally Lewis, uh, Greg Brentnell, um, uh, um, Greg Canescu, Greg Dowling. There, there were the names just rolled off, and again, it was the most frightening day because that was probably one of the first real big international games that I was to to play on that that tour and um, again it was frightening I think one time I had um, uh, Mel Meninga made a break down the down the sideline and as a typical loose forward I was coming across to to cover and I just kept asking him what am I going to do here how am I going to stop this guy Did you see these big pumping legs coming down the sideline and um, he kicked for uh, kicked the head to, to try and get out and I just dived at his legs and <laughs> I think I missed him. He fell over, but I'm just glad he kicked the ball out in the fall, so it didn't make any difference. Um, but that was one of the, the eye-opening pieces or the, or the, the uh, realisation that I'm I'm in the big league or I'm playing in the big league. And, and watching Wally Lewis, um, he was a master. Yeah. An absolute master. And um, uh, a pleasure to play that day. Absolutely. Yeah, well, well, it was a full origin team and it had uh, a couple of players you'd not mentioned, Gene Miles and Brian Niebling were in the, in the team, great oh, yes. players as well. Uh, the game finished 31-16 in the Maroons' favour, but there was only one try the difference, but uh, it was Malmeninga's goal-kicking uh, that separated the two teams. I mean, Meninga was just a, a fabulous, fabulous footballer, wasn't he? Yeah, and and it's funny you say that it was his kicking that uh, that it was the difference on the day. But he, he wasn't a renowned goal kicker, even though he, he kicked you know through his his career. He, he you wouldn't pick him as one of the, the great goal kickers of rugby league history yeah. um, uh, going down the track. But uh, on that day, he he was on when he was on in a game. He was on, but there were a lot of times where uh, with the old toe punt kick straight ahead. Um, it uh, it skewed off the the, the boot uh, 
for a long time. I think he he must have scored more tries than he did kick goals. Mel, I yeah, think. yeah. Well, I actually believe it or not, played against uh, uh, Mal Meninga when he was at St Helens, and uh, your experience of coming across in cover trying to tackle him was similar to mine. But I, I just became a road bump. He just knocked me off and <laughs> off he went. Really. <laughs> so uh, so yeah yeah it was one of those. But anyway, m- uh, moving on. So although select on the bench for the first test against uh, Australia at Lang Park. You couldn't uh, actually play through injury. It finished 11 points to 8 in the Kangaroos' favour. But you took your place on the bench in the second test at the Sydney Cricket Ground on the 17th of July uh, 1982. And you were lining up alongside legends of the game in New Zealand. And, and your dream that your dad had spoken to you about, you know, when you were a young boy, you'd become a reality you were wearing that kiwi jersey in your first ever test match and a very proud moment for for me um uh, actually if i can just go back to uh i did get an injury in that that um for the first test but um uh, did i actually say what it was what the injury was <laughs> Well, I was I was trying to uh, avoid your blush. Oh, you're trying to be nice. Really. <laughs> <laughs> but, but go ahead and you can tell the story. <laughs> I, I, I actually can't even remember what officially we, we, we were told or what the, the media was told about what my injury was, but it was it was hemorrhoids. And um, I, I, I wasn't used to the hard grounds and, and the, the heavy training sessions that we were having. I just had the strain on my body, but uh, I couldn't play because I – I had hemorrhoids hanging out, and um, it was the most painful thing I had. The only thing that looked like I had an injury as I was walking in was I, I was limping as I was coming into into the ground because uh, even though the hem- hemorrhoids were sticking out in a in a, the, the certain place, I was still struggling to walk. <laughs> um, so people did think I had an injury, but it it, it, it did come out. But again, I can't even remember what the official um, injury. Um, uh, explanation was in regards to that, uh, but again, going into the, into the second test. Well, I, I have to say, Hugh, there can't, there can't be that many players who've had to pull out of a test match because of that problem, can they? <laughs> <laughs> you are you are you are unique on that one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, not not many have it, so I'm in in a in a you're very unique club. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that that uh, second test, that was I think that was uh, uh, my dream come true. But I think it was my father's dream it it, it come true as well. And um, very proud day uh, for me. Again, I came off I came off the bench, um, and uh, I I came off, and I was supposed to replace. Um, Gary Prome at uh, or Gary Campbell, I think it was a, it was at fullback, um, and he was to come off. And Mark Graham says, "No, that's not happening." He said, "You you stick your head in here in the in the scrum. You you you." Uh, and I think he might have sent Gary Prome off, or he might have sent another forward off. Um, and I had to be a, as a as a loose forward. Gary uh, Campbell stayed on at at fullback. And the first thing I had to do was stick my head in the scrum. But before I stuck my head in the scrum, I looked up at the opposition. Um, and, and you said the names we had in, in um, uh, that I mentioned in the Queensland team. But then to to look at Craig Young, um, to look at Ray Price, um, Wayne uh, uh, Wayne Pierce, um, who I think might have, might have come off the bench, um, and looking at those those faces in the opposition, I just 
couldn't believe that I was on the same same field as them. And from that point on, the the game was just a blank. I, I can't remember too much about the game at all. I still can't. I've watched the game on video and I, said, I can't remember doing that. I can't remember making that tackle. I can't remember anything about the game. I was just... I was just panicking all the way through. Yeah, I mean, it was a great Kangaroos team. Um, you know, as well as the names you've mentioned, you had Les Boyd in the back. Steve Rogers. Yeah, Steve Rogers. Uh, Max Krillich was the captain. I think it might have been Mac- Max's first ever uh, game as captain. No, second game, I beg your pardon. Um, but the the, the Kangaroos, who, oh, like I say, had a fantastic team. Didn't they? Playing at home. It was uh, 20 points to two. So you'd compete against the very best and and next it was over to Papua New Guinea to take on the Cummels uh, in Port Moresby a confidence boosting 56 points to 5 victory in which you crossed for 2 tries was this your first experience of Papua New Guinea uh, and how did you find it? Uh, yes it was, the very first experience and it was mind blowing um, I, um, on, on, the, on the tour um uh with with on that tour with the, with the with the Kiwi team we we were lucky enough to pick up Mark Broadhurst who was playing for Manly at the time he was in the Kiwi team obviously but he also came on the tour the Papua New Guinea section of the tour um and he was a god up there the 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 Papua New Guinea people just loved them. Everywhere we went, it was Mark Broadhurst, Mark Broadhurst, Mark Broadhurst, Mark Broadhurst, <laughs> and they're just singing the song the, the, the whole time. They were mesmerised with the game of rugby league, and, and for us out of New Zealand where it's just rugby, 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 um, to see people um, fanaticise about rugby league and the people who are playing um, and, and just the conditions and the, the, the way of life in Papua New Guinea was an eye up. It was exciting. It was, it was, it was actually a lovely place to, to be. I, I wouldn't live there. I couldn't live there. I couldn't recommend it being a, a, a des- tourist destination for people, but in a, in a sporting environment, it was a great place to, to, to go to. You, you couldn't go down to the shop without a hundred people walking behind you, just wanting to touch you and just watch you, whatever you do in the place. So it was, it was really fascinating place to, to, to go and visit again as a tour, as a rugby league tourist, a great place to go to, but I, as a normal tourist, I'm not too sure if it's top of the pops. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you been there recently? No, not recently. I think the uh, 82, then I was there in 86. Yeah. Uh, and I think there might've been one other trip I might've made up there. I can't remember hundred percent. 88. 87, maybe. But the the people of Papua New Guinea are just, uh, well, fanatical about the game of rugby league, aren't they? That they are. Absolutely fanatical, yeah. Well, on that tour, I mean, like like you were saying, I think Mark Broders stayed with the squad, but you lost Mark Graham and Olsen Filipano back to their clubs in Sydney, and Graham West took over the captaincy. Um, So uh, a great start to your uh, international career. And uh, the following season, 1983, while 82 had been the breakthrough season for you, 83, your form dipped and you were dealt a major blow uh, by being dropped from the Auckland team by Bob Bailey. But it was only later that you discovered it was on the instructions of Kiwi coach Graham Lowe. Is that right? 
Yes, yes, it was. Um, I was really, really disappointed. I, and, but I understood. I wasn't, I wasn't playing well. But to be told you were dropped from the from the team, and I saw, looking back on it, I sort of sensed that you know, Bob had something to say, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to say what, why I was being dropped, or was that because of form and whatever. And um, then. It was uh, not until afterwards I thought, well, I'm going to go and talk to, to Graham Lowe. Well, we'd, I'd known him from his time at um, the Otahu Rugby League Club and we say he was a good friend of the family. So I went to him and called him up, can, can we meet? And I sat with him and I asked, you know, what can I do to make sure I, 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 um, I, I continue in the, the Kiwi team? Well, how can I make sure of my selection in the Kiwi team? And Lowe just basically told me, he said, you're not. He says, you're out. He said, no, I was the one who got you dropped out of the Auckland team because you didn't deserve to be there. You're, you're playing crap. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. This is what you should be doing. And he just hit me between the eyes. And um, and that that took a toll on me. And, and it took a while for it to um, to sink in. And it probably wasn't until after the, the first two Kiwi um, games uh, against Australia, one, the, the first one at... Uh, Carlo Park, and then the uh, the second at um, at Lamb Park, where the Kiwis uh, beat the, uh, the the Kangaroos, and Nicky Wright was a big part of that. And um, it was a realization then that I had to pull, really pull my finger out. And <clears throat> I, I, I got to admit, I probably was a little bit cocky. I thought because I'd made the Kiwi team, and everything just for the previous two or three years was just rolling my way. Everything was just falling into place, and and so I probably got a little bit um, casual in, in what I did. And um, again, there was another lesson that I learned that you know nothing comes for free and everything takes hard work. You you've just got to work at everything that you do. And and I made that commitment and I improved as the, that 1983 season went on. Um, we had our club team, um, our premiers. We end up winning the Auckland Championship that that year, and I was probably a big part of that as well. And that probably led me to. Getting reselected again into the into the Kiwi team, albeit there probably weren't all the other big names uh, in the team uh, had that all moved back. To, they're still playing in Australia um, or back in the UK. Uh, I think uh, Kevin Tarmody was was uh, was back in the UK. How he might have played in that game in 1983. Um, uh, Mark Graham wasn't involved with Gary Prom. All the Hull boys they they weren't involved in the game, so it was. It was a young side, uh, a, a lot of local boys in there. Uh, Kurt Sorensen was actually named in there. Howie was the other mainstay. Um, Shane Varley was at, at, at halfback. Um, even though Clayton had been in the, the Kiwi team, he wasn't always the starting um, halfback. Um, and Dean had also played in, in that game for, for later in the year. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, as you'd uh, explained, um you know, you've been dropped from the Kiwi team. I think Gary Prome was selected ahead of you in that two test series that you've already touched on. However, uh, your form, like you say, eventually returned and you were brought back into the Kiwi team for the visit of Papua New Guinea. And what an impact uh, you made too, scoring an incredible six tries in a game in a 60 points to 20 victory. Uh, it was also a game, you know, played at Carlo Park, which saw your friend Dean Bell score a hat trick of tries as well. Yeah, and it's not often that um, a, a player you know, scores a, um, a treble in a game 
and doesn't get mentioned um, about it. And he, he still has me on a little bit today <laughs> uh, whenever we see each other about that. He, he'd scored three tries um, and doesn't get a mention, obviously, my six tries. And, and one thing Graham Lowe said to me he, he, uh, prior to that when we had our discussion, he said, I don't want you um, trying to set up tries. I, I want you to score tries. That's what you've got to have to start to look at, which is what I was doing with Owen. I was always following what Owen was doing. And on that day we played uh, Papua New Guinea. Um, I actually scored, I think, the majority of my tries off um, Kurt Sorensen, who didn't ta- it didn't take much for him to, to bust the line and just look for someone in support, and I was always there. And, uh, but I think I, I might have scored a couple off Owen as well. Owen had still had a major impact on that on that game, but uh, the six tries was uh, another highlight for me. Um, and up until... 2017, I think it was, with the World Cup, was it 2019? The Rugby League World Cup, where um, it was equal, that six tries was equal for the for the first time. God, who'd equal that? The Australian boy, Valentine Holmes, scored six. Uh, and um, uh, it's the first time in a long time I was, I was hoping um, that uh, a winger doesn't score a try <laughs> um, to, to break the record. So it I can tell you, I, I still have the record along with someone else uh, to this day, six tries in a test match. Yeah, but you, you see, you've got six tries in a test match from a forward. I don't think anybody will beat that, will they? <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's what I like to think, and I tell my close friends that. But I, yeah. Now that you've made it public, then, yeah, maybe that's what I can, I, I can say now as a forward. Yeah, well, um, uh, later in October 1983, you were selected for the New Zealand Maori Tour of the UK, uh, but you almost didn't make it because of a broken hand received in the semi-final of the Tusk Cup. It was the perfect opportunity so to enjoy your rugby and, and you thrived in that environment under the leadership of Ian Bell uh, and also in the company of a, a number of talented players that, again, you've already mentioned with Owen and Nicky Wright, Clayton Friend and, of course, Dean Bell. It was actually a tour that I do remember in the UK uh, and I think I actually went to one of the games. I think you were playing at Dewsbury. You know, I may well have watched you if you played in that game. But it was quite exciting seeing the uh, Maori team, you know, coming to um, the UK and playing games, uh, you know, around the area. It was a great environment. That that, that Maori um, team was, it was a, a totally different um, uh, base. Uh, the relationships with everyone was different. The coaching was different. Um, we had uh, more of a um, a family environment. Um, there was we were professional about what we did, but the emphasis wasn't uh, about playing. It was about being, uh, making sure we we live by our culture. We we're respectful of of everyone. We take into account. We we socialise with the, the the opposition. We go and and um, support the sponsors of of the the tour in different places. Which means we went to nearly every brewery in every town that we we visited. Because uh, it was mainly the breweries who who, who sponsored a lot of the games. Um, uh, not that many of the boys were um, complaining about that, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was a t- totally different environment. Yeah, it must have been hard work for you that as well, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it was great seeing all these uh, young New Zealand players actually, uh, you know, playing the trade in the UK. You know, really entertaining football you played. 
yeah, very open um, freestyle of, of of rugby league, and and uh, and I was fortunate or unfortunate. I, I played in every game um, on that tour, even with my uh, uh, broken hand. I, I was I was determined that I was going to make that um, that tour, and uh, nothing was going to stop me. And uh, like I said, it was only two weeks out before the, the start of the tour. I broke it, and um, uh, I can still see the damage in my hand in, in regards to it, but. Um, I made sure that I, I got on that tour and, and I, as I said, I played every game um, and uh, it was one of the most enjoyable tours that I had and especially the first time in a touring situation or, or first time ever for me being in the UK and I just loved it and have loved it ever since. Every trip I go there, it, it, the memories that I have of the, the, the rugby league environments, uh, the sporting environments and the places that we'd been to, uh, the people that we've met uh, and the people that I, I've met on that fir- first tour and other tours um, and I still have relationships with today. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very fun place to, for, for us to tour and to, and to visit. Just love it every time we go. Yeah. Well, uh, moving on to 1984 brought further success for you against Brian Noble's Lions Taurus. Uh, 14th of July, first test, uh, a 12-0 win in Auckland with tries through uh, Fred Arcoy, uh, James Luluai and two goals from Olsen Filipana. You back that up um, in the second test in Christchurch, uh, a 28-12 victory. Uh, Dane O'Hara, Fred Arcoy, Dean Bell, James Lulawai with tries and Olsen Filipana kicking four goals. And then the third test saw you demolish the Taurus, 32 points to 16. Clayton Friend and James Lulawai uh, both scored a couple of tries. Dane O'Hara crossed and Olsen Filipani again uh, kicked six goals for Great Britain. Ellery Hanley crossed and Keith Mumby scored tries. And Mick Burke kicked four goals. But it was... It was probably one of the best Kiwi teams that I'd seen. Incredibly strong side. And although Mark Graham was out, uh, that pack still pretty formidable. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, An and enjoyable tour. Um, even though the, the first two games were played in, in the rain um, and the mud of Carlaw Park, and then we went down to Christchurch in the, in the second test, the rain that just came down on those days, it didn't change the way that we played the game. It was... It was very open style. Um, Graham Lowe was in his element, and I think we as a team were growing under his leadership um, as a coach. And uh, everything just seemed to, to gel for us in those times. Um, if if I may say, and I, without being disrespectful, I, I, I think the Great Britain team then, there was a lot of players coming to the end of their their career uh, on on that trip, even though there were some young boys um, on there who, who just started, there was a, a few of the older boys, and and I think we used that as our um, um, uh, incentive to ensure that they don't go out on a on a good note, and that we we teach the younger boys a lesson in that team. Um, we we had good experience in our in, in the Kiwi team at the time, and there was still a few young ones, uh, us who were in the younger brigade, um, that still had to prove ourselves uh, from longevity. And um, but it was very very enjoyable. And and if I may say and, and digress a little bit, it was it was the first time I I played um, rugby league against 
one of the players who who's become one of my greatest friends um, um, out of England, and that was uh, Joe Lydon. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't like Joe. Joe <laughs> Joe Lydon was getting a a lot of publicity. He was playing for Widnes at the time. He was getting a lot of publicity. He was he scored some unbelievable tries um, uh, at Wembley. Um, in uh, Challenge Cup finals, and he was getting all of these accolades, and I'm thinking this guy's a winger. I said, how, how does how do people get to talk about this guy more than me and whatever? And I, I, I got started to get this little bit of a hate, so I was trying to chase Joe all over the the field to try and hit him to bring him down to size, and uh, that whole tour, I never got near him. He, he ran he ran past me, and. Um, uh, I, I tell him of this, and he said, "Oh, I didn't know you were you were after me." He, he said, I, "I probably just ran past you and didn't notice you because you were um, you were as black as the ace of spades or something with all the mud all over you, and I didn't didn't notice you." But I, um, uh, Joe, yeah. So because of everything that was happening at the time, I I had this this thing in me that I just had to go out and I had to to knock this guy down to size. Now I may I, I may turn this forward a little bit further, or start part two of this this conversation when we get to another another stage of of where I'm going or my career a, a year or so down the track. Yeah, well, I mean, Joe, he was one of a number of young players in that Great Britain team, and I think you're you're right. Actually, you know, there were there were quite a lot of players who were coming to the end of their careers, but there was a lot of young guys in there who were actually getting the experience. And you look at players like Joe, Ellery Hanley was still a young guy, uh, Andy Gregory was in there as a young and up-and-coming scrum half. Uh, so all these players eventually forged to make the backbone of the Great Britain team the next time you played them? Uh, yes, there the were. That would have been the, the year later we played against... Uh... Great Britain in '85 um, at the end, end of the tour, and the, most of those 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 guys were were in there. And I think Ellery was really coming into his own um, as a player, and, um, and 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 Joe just exceptional, just speed. The boot on on Joe was just magnificent. He he could kick a ball for miles and miles, and um, and did it effortlessly too. And um, and every he played in such a casual way, but he was just quick. He was just elusive, um, extremely strong, strong player. And, um, and so we enjoyed a lot of times to, to together. But in that um, eighty-five group, I uh, I think I, I was again I was chasing him all around the the field in the in the first test. I, I had one shot on him, and I I. I uh, at the time, we we sort of got away with it. I, I come over the top and I, I put one on the side of his chin, um, only because uh, he had to step inside to to um, to sidestep someone, and because he sidestepped someone, I just happened to be on the inside covering um, and picked up a tackle on him, and um, it was my first and only shot I think I had on on Joe. But uh, again, that '85 series was a magnificent, tough. Tough series. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was a you know great footballer, Joe. He was like you say, he was absolutely rapid when he got the ball in space. Um, you know, great player. 
In the next episode of the Ellis Rugby Podcast Part 2 of the Umagan interview, it includes signing for the Roosters in 1985 and playing under the great Arthur Beetson. Also includes the 18-0 victory over the Kangaroos and the Kiwis' memorable 1985 tour. A great listen, so please subscribe to the Ellis Rugby Podcast. So what does Rugby League Cares do? Through Rugby League Cares and the welfare programmes, they help give players a better balance. The Benevolent Fund have been amazing for me from the day that I lost Danny. We're just trying to normalise the conversations of mental health. We're talking about anxiety, we're talking about depression and the signs and the symptoms. There's nothing wrong with having expectations within yourself and creating internal pressures, but what we're talking about here in terms of stress is when it becomes too much. They really are really are angels in disguise. The work of Rugby League Cares is so important because it does what it says on the tin. Because Rugby League Cares. Because Rugby League Cares. Because Rugby League Cares. Ellis Rugby is proud to partner Rugby League Cares, supporting both the charity and the Rugby League Benevolent Fund through the annual Rugby League Lions Luncheon. We are passionate about the game's heritage and our Ellis Rugby garments are inspired by the many great players, the wonderful teams and the great games of the past. Ellis Rugby, the rugby heritage brand. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Alice Rugby Podcast. Our aim is to tell the untold stories behind some of the world's most outstanding rugby players. You can help. Rate us in iTunes or give us a review and spread the word about this podcast. Reviews and ratings really make a difference. Thank you for listening to the Alice Rugby Podcast. Check out our Rugby Heritage clothing collections at ellisrugby.com.